<laughs> I just see your head. <laughs> this is great. It's funny. It feels like we're just like little kids. Yeah. You know? Sitting at a table that's too big for us. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What's our dog called? Our perfect pod. That's right. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's February. It is February. <laughs> yeah. We're a little behind, but um, that's all right. I mean, yeah. Who's who's waiting? Uh, a lot of people. I've been getting a lot of DMs. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've been getting a lot of DMs. <laughs> yeah, just, just a handful. <laughs> just really? Have you? <laughs> no, a couple. A couple. A couple of people asked. It's so we like were, two. Yeah, a couple of people asked if we were still doing it. Damn. Um, that was the context. No faith. <laughs> yeah, no faith. <laughs> but um, whatever. Well, I do have. I have uh, Maya Culp or nostra culpa i don't know um we're not doing the metaphysics episode today yeah um, sorry to disappoint all two of you yeah the uh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who lorenzo weird. promised personally yeah, right via dm right we're gonna do that later um once the guest who's gonna come on for that is available which she's currently not so i'm really throwing under the bus <laughs> it's really priming the <laughs> listeners to be like finally yeah no she's great she's it'll be it's it's for a good reason so um but yeah we want to we want to make sure that episode's good um so this one's just going to be um bad <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. no, no this is another pretty important one i think actually oh, for, I, for, I know but let's pretend that we're just i don't know Oh, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> Too late. <Yeah. laughs> but, um, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Did I ask you this on the Christmas episode? Uh, no, you didn't. Um, yeah, I kind of do. Um, I guess it's it's to be, like, to, to choose, like, the healthy thing as often as I can. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of personal, but, yeah, that is actually it. Um I've done a pretty good job of it, but I have a tendency not to do that. So mm. my my uh, um, resolution is to do that. Cool. Yeah. What about Thanks. you? Um, I want to do a pull up. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Hell yeah. Um. Oh, I want to embrace the mystery. Oh, I mean that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's very abstract. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's February so far can't do a pull-up right well you know there's plenty of time i think you'll be able to you'll probably be able to by like if if you like keep at it you'll definitely be able to by like i don't know may maybe i don't know i can like not even do a single Mm push-up i can maybe do one push-up yeah i don't know i feel like if you keep climbing at the rate that you do like you'll be able to do a push up. Yeah, but I'm like not improving at that. Uh, yeah, you know, I haven't really been either. All I'm right, like cool. stuck at like a V2. That's a flex. <laughs> it's oh, okay. not. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, this is a climbing podcast. It now. is a climbing pod. Yeah, we're into climbing. Um so just like every other person who lives in California. Literally and not not even it's just like everybody if you're like between the ages of like 19 and like 45. 45? You think it goes up that high? Yeah, there's always old guys. Well, they're at your not gym, old. maybe. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, okay, that could be right. Um, okay, other question. Mm-hmm. What was the highlight of your 2022? Wait, did I ask you this? No. Did I, I ask you any questions in the Yeah, Christmas we asked each other episode? a bunch of Christmas, like Christmas well, Yeah, they were about Christmas. I don't think we asked, like, this kind of question. Um, oh, I see that. Wait, no. You... 
you don't have these in stock. All right. Well, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the highlight of my 2022. Um, God, I don't know. It was a nice year, actually. It was a very good year. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. It was just good. All right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. There was just a lot of. I mean, I guess I started teaching. That was probably the big. Mm-hmm. And I feel like good about that like I did a good job of it so Mm -hmm. what about you um getting Bradley oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) do you see him over there is he in here he's he's laying on the the ground nice he's full satiated and silent thank god (laughs) he's not gonna ruin our equipment yeah set up this time right um cool well is that enough candid catch-up for you? <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you giving up for Lent, Riley? You wrote that oh, in the doc. Shoot. You didn't even ask me that. Well, I think I'm going to copy your idea um, and maybe not drink. Yeah. But, okay, here's here's the difficulty. Um, we There are people who are going to be visiting the yeah. first like couple days of Lent. And I want to be able to go get a beer. Yeah. So I might just start Lent a few days late. Yeah, I have a similar... I'm going to New York to visit my sister, mm-hmm. like, halfway through. And I'm definitely going to drink there. <laughs> right. So, like, I'm thinking I'm going to have, like, a pause there. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. And I think Whatever. I also want to um, read the Gospels. Oh, yeah? As well. Like, just sit down and read all four of them? Maybe not at once, but over the, yeah. the days. Yeah that's a great idea i should do that too all right cool yeah we should we should do an episode yeah <laughs> Just, wait a, we wait should, a second yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right that'd cool. be cool yeah all right i'll put it in the vault yeah yeah okay we'll, the gospel we'll episode um all right awesome So, our topic for today, Simone Vey, I think is the, that's the way that you like to pronounce it, right? That's what Wikipedia tells me. Okay. Because, okay, so, because I looked into it, mm-hmm. and like W-E-I-L mm-hmm. is like a Germanic last name, and I think it's Veal, like in its original, but she's Ew. French, right. so the way they would pronounce it is Vey. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, Bradley agrees. Bradley agrees. He he knows. Um, yeah, I think that's right. That's probably why Wikipedia says that's how you pronounce it. Right. Um, and also, I think I looked it up on Google, and there was the little, you know, the little mouth that tells you how to pronounce things. <laughs> yeah. And that's how they, they told me to. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, so yeah, Simone Weil, philosopher, Christian mystic. Christian question mark? I yeah. don't know. Mystic question mark as well, right? So true. Isn't that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think so. But yeah, because um, yeah, we, we've talked about her a bit because uh, I'm a big fan. I think we even talked about her in our 
prayer episode, did, one of yeah. our first episodes, and I read from my little book or whatever. Um, yeah, we like endorsed her because she kind of has a view of prayer as sort of equal to um, like attention, like a sort of sacred kind of attention. Right. And I think we endorsed that as basically the right the right view of what like prayer is, or like a you know like we think that's the best account of what prayer is. Yeah. Um, yeah in general yeah her whole like shtick kind of is um about like orientation yes i think i wrote in my notes like um love as orientation like an orientation towards something sin as an orientation away from god yeah prayer as an orientation like towards this type of like neutral thoughtless attention um yeah, I really like that. I think that's right and good. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's good too. And I think that's also what makes her kind of a mystic. I'm not sure if I've ever read like scholarship on mysticism. I'm thinking back now. And I don't think I have. Mm. But the people who I know are called mystics seem to have in common that that feature of like, there's something about um, like uh, losing oneself in attention that is kind of the, you know, and, and and in doing that, one has realizations about like the, I don't know, like non-separateness of all things or like the, you know, some sort of like unity in being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that might be the way that she could be a mystic is is that her, her view of prayer kind of lends itself, her prayer and attention and orientation lend itself toward that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's spot on in terms of like what constitutes mysticism it is sort of about this like feeling or uh experience of like oneness and it is sort of about like the dissolution of the ego um yeah so i think that is why she's a considered a mystic is because she is kind of invested in this um impersonal experience of the world right yeah Okay, so why, what do, who is she? What's her deal? Why do people like her? <laughs> These are, um, why, are we ta- why are we talking about her? What's her, what's her, like, what are we into here? Um, I mean, I think, whoa. I think we just like her ideas, I would say. Uh, who is she? What's her deal? So she was born um, Jewish, and then she kind of had this spiritual experience when she was 28 which is i was surprised it was that late in her life she only lived to be 34 she only lived to be 34 yeah it was her birthday yesterday happy birthday simone vey (laughs) you would have loved i don't know what would she have loved she would have loved the misenchantments podcast (laughs) she you would have loved the misenchantments podcast um and so yeah she had this religious experience and then just sort of became a christian i guess but she never um really converted to catholicism she never wanted to get baptized she never wanted to like join a church because she kind of had this conception of god as um sort of like you know something to be experienced individually um in sort of an unmediated way i guess i don't know if that's like necessarily the right this is my understanding. So she's a Protestant. 
<laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. She just hadn't heard of it because she was in France. And they killed all the Huguenots, I guess, already. But oh, I'm trying to... I read something the other day that kind of, like, discussed this and said, like, therefore she's, like, a Catholic in the real sense of the word. And I was like, what? Like, like a universal... An endorser of a universal church? I think so, yeah. Okay. I think that is what... Yeah. Because a lot of, like... Because, like, Catholicity is, like, a, a feature of of churches. Like, other church... Non-Roman Catholic churches will still call themselves Catholic because what they mean by that is universal. Not mm. not that they are, you know, um, under the, the, the jurisdiction of the Bishop of Rome. I um, see. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Catholicism's true... I found the quote I was looking for... Or thinking of. Yeah, Catholicism's true meaning is born out in the etymological sense of the term it's universality so um i don't know it feels like kind of a cop-out to be like she's a catholic because that's obviously not how we understand um catholicism but what you what drew you to her originally like how did you first encounter her i i do not remember i was doing my prelims exam and I just, I just really don't remember at all. There was like something, I was just like assembling this book list and something of hers like had come on my radar and I just was like, oh, I'm just going to put all of her books on my prelims, even though it doesn't fit at all because it's neither like scholarship about media history (laughs) or modernist novels. Um, But I don't know. Then I just read her stuff. And obviously it was very impactful. And now I'm writing a dissertation on like spirituality, I guess. Yeah. So like, I don't know. Right. Um, but I'm not, I, I don't remember. It was something about the like school studies essay. Yeah. But I don't remember how I. Yeah. I remember you sent that to me. Like it was, I don't know, it must have been like two years ago. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how I came across it though. Yeah. It's so, a good essay. Very good essay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's who she is what's her deal she was um an activist she was really invested in uh labor and like laborers rights and she had had a job teaching young women philosophy like at a girls school and she ended up leaving this job to go um like work in a factory to like try to understand the experience um the experiences of like factory workers better and then she ended up dying at age 34 because she had tuberculosis and she had been doing like hunger strikes and just really um depriving herself and yeah 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 i mean that seems to be like a theme in her life um from what we've read or from what i've read Mm -hmm. um she just liked to try to experience whatever the most difficult thing she encountered that another person was having to go through might have been. Yeah, um, was it in the Aeon article it was, where yeah. <laughs> someone said to her? Um, it was De Beauvoir, I think, about the the like a famine oh, in China. Oh yeah, yeah. It was De Beauvoir who. Um, how do how do like how does everybody know each other? Like you know. Yeah, in France. I guess in France, that's just how it. There's goes. like eleven smart people in France, and they all know each other, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean. That must be nice. Yeah, that'd be cool. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, de Beauvoir said, or, okay, they said to Beauvoir, 
in no uncertain tones that only one thing mattered in the world, the revolution which would feed all of the starving people on earth. I retorted, this is Beauvoir, no less peremptorily. Peremptorily? Is that how you... I don't even know what the hell that word is. I've never... (laughs) I've seen that word before, but I've never spoken it. Um, The problem was not to make men happy, but to find the reason for their existence. So de Beauvoir said... We don't need to make men happy. We need to find the reason for their existence. And then Vey said, it's easy to see you've never been hungry after looking her up and down, <laughs> which nice. is really just like Got her. sassy. Got her ass. Um, damn. <laughs> so, uh, which I think is, is like true and right. And I think that Vey is like the ultimate feminist, maybe just in terms of well, I don't know. Maybe that's too extreme of a She's a, a kind of humanist, I think. Um, although I might take issue, I will later, when we get into like the substance of her philosophical views with the kind of humanism that she endorses. Um, but I, I think she is a humanist. I mean, and in, in, the, in that sense, like insofar as feminism is just like an entailment of humanism. Well, I think that she, I think the distinction I'm drawing is I would say she's a feminist because she has such an emphasis on like embodiment and embodied feeling mm. which i think kind of sets her apart from just pure humanism it does in the sense that historically male humanists have been ignorant of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah and so like i guess as part of like a body of knowledge the body of knowledge that she's contributing to is like the the feminist kind mm-hmm. yeah that is cool though. I like that. I like that about that. Yeah. I wonder, like, why? What are? Why are men so worried about embodiment? Like, what's that about? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. mean, it's I don't want to a... make like a sweeping like yeah. <laughs> claim. Like, men just don't get it. Yeah. They. they don't... I mean, they don't though. Like, I don't know. Well, like, other than Merlo Ponty, like, men but, men philosophers yeah. just don't get it. No. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> They're just gonna keep taking L's. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wrote in my notes, "Why do people like her?" And then in parentheses, "Cool haircut." Yeah. I think she's really. I think. Cool. Yeah. I can't help but notice that her haircut is not dissimilar from your own. Hers is much shorter. She. It is shorter. Goes much more. Uh. She really was trying to be masculine. Hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What were your impressions of, first impressions? Of her writing? Of her writing, yeah. I like it. It's good. It's very, um, it's like aphorisms, um, you know, in <laughs> yeah, a way. Like, she's, she's not, like, working through, like, a thought in a systematic way. She's kind of just, like, it has, it has like, a revelatory quality. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean that, like, she's writing revelations down. She's not, like, she's not constructing an argument or, like, really like outlining a view in a systematic way it's kind of just like she's just sitting there chatting and she's like, presenting she's presenting <laughs> yeah. she's presenting she like came down from the mountain the burning bush told her these things and mm-hmm. she's telling us what she found yeah. um i mean i have i have thoughts about i guess we should talk about what pieces we read um because i have like thoughts about the philosophical quality not quality in the sense of like how good or bad it is but like just the nature of what she is arguing for um but i think uh uh like maybe we should outline like what it is that we that we read and Mm -hmm. and um, what those pieces argue yeah first 
Definitely. Um, just real quick on the aphorisms I have on my lap, this book, Gravity and Grace, yeah. and it's one of her most famous books. And it's just like, it's divided into chapters that are just like, you know, terms like decreation, self-effacement, love. And yeah. each like section is just like, you know, sentence, a sentence or two Yeah. for each, like paragraphs. And it's just aphorisms. Yeah. And it's probably her most... I don't, just kidding. It probably isn't her most famous book, but people really love this book. I don't know. I think it might be. It's the one. Well, so, okay. So this reminds me. Mm -hmm. I had two thoughts that I forgot to write down because I, well, I didn't forget. I was driving and I thought of them. Um, Like, okay. One, why did the, why the trad cats, the, the, the trad girls who we've written about, Mm -hmm. talked about, they, they love her, Mm -hmm. um, which we'll get to perhaps because I'm curious about what your thoughts are there. Um, And the other thing is her worldview I think is like a nice um maybe it gives us some some clues into like what enchantment like is like qualitatively mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like because i think i mean i don't know if, if we read the whole uh, enchantments of mammon uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe mccara would have talked about this sorry before. eugene yeah. <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like if you don't hold a, a, like the view that just like um like participation in catholic sacraments is the end of enchantment or like that that's just what enchantment is then you know that's probably some more abstract thing um and i think like there's something very enchanting about her writing like she's Mm -hmm. like pointing us toward like i don't know the divine as like part of our lived experience um and i forgot why that why gravity and grace reminded me of that but i feel like that book is yeah well i think the way that she writes in this book um are just really I don't know. Can I just read a little paragraph? Yeah, I think it maybe sums it up. So this is from um, Love. So she writes, um, God's love for us is not the reason for which we should love him. God's love for us is the reason for us to love ourselves. How could we love ourselves without his motive? It is impossible for man to love himself except in this roundabout way. If my eyes are blindfolded and if my hands are chained to a stick, the stick separates me from the things, from things, but I can explore them by means of it it is only the stick which i feel it is only the wall which i perceive uh it is the same with creatures and the faculty of love supernatural love touches only creatures and goes only to god it is only creatures which it loves what else have we to love but it loves them as intermediaries for this reason it loves all creatures equally itself included to love oneself or excuse me to love a stranger as oneself implies the reverse to love oneself as a stranger end quote yeah. and i think it's just like kind of goes in it does and it just oh, is a beautiful one it's just like abstract enough that you can kind of like project i don't like it doesn't spell it out for you like maybe right. the, i think this is what you were kind of saying about um her like the philosophical quality yeah or like it, it's not like traditional like you know this is like it's does that make sense yeah she's not like laying out an argument she's not saying like okay love love obtains under the following conditions or something like mm-hmm. that she's just she like it's the, the act of reading is is itself like kind of a poetic um engagement with the thing that she's talking about mm-hmm. in a way that goes beyond just like okay like here's my definition of love let me problematize it real quick and give you some thought experiments or something right. like that like so insofar as she's doing philosophy, it's not like the normal kind. It's, you know, it's special, different kind. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and just another note that this, like, 
metaphor with the the blindfolded man and the hands chained to a stick is um this concept of Nitoxu. are you familiar no. with this it's a term from plato and it's it means like Metoxu is like the thing that both separates and connects um it's like the wikipedia definition defines it as like for example a wall separates two prisoners but can be used to like tap messages mm. and this is like her whole theory about um like god's love and yeah. which you know comes out here that's so, cool yeah which i also think just like yeah. goes in <laughs> yeah no that's sick i like that a lot yeah um but anyway we were gonna talk about what we had read yes that's right all right, do you want to walk us through our reading selection? Are we recording? Yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we read um, statement, a statement of human obligations, mm-hmm. uh, a statement of human obligations, attention and will. Maybe we read human personality. I don't know if you read that. I, I like skimmed it and then it was talked about a lot in the Aeon article. Yeah. So I was grateful that I had only skimmed it. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I, it really was. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I, I, read... I, I read the other two in full. Oh, great. And then we wa- uh, watched, we read um, this Aeon article called A Just and Loving Gaze, which is um, about a statement of human obligations, human personality and attention and will i don't remember yeah it just kind of like because again her 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 manner of writing is is not like like thesis oriented so it kind of takes her like argument or like it extracts the argument from her aphorisms um Mm. like generally that seems to be like what that article was trying to do Mm -hmm, um yeah so what you want to start with maybe human personality yeah just because like briefly yeah yeah um the main so the main argument of human personality is that the most sacred like part of a person is that which is impersonal yeah so and she kind of like draws this out by talking about the difference between um rights and obligation so she says like rights are rooted in the personal um obligation kind of like in a separate realm the impersonal or the sacred so here's a quote that i think is like really instructive uh, from this so she writes um if someone tries to browbeat a farmer to sell his eggs at a moderate price the farmer can say i have the right to keep my eggs if i don't get a good enough price but if a young girl is being forced into a brothel, she will not talk about her rights. In such a situation, the word would sound ludicrously inadequate. Um, the point here being that the type of like suffering that a young girl would endure goes beyond like the personal. It's not like an affront to her personality. It's more about like a deeper level of suffering which all humans have a capacity for right um and which should be avoided or like yeah eradicated yeah the sense that i got was that she thinks it's almost kind of crass um because this is and i was gonna wait until we got to the statement of human obligation to bring this up but i think actually it's relevant to bring up now mm-hmm. like her understanding of rights is actually kind of different i think it's um it's different from the way that i understand rights but 
I think actually hers is more accurate to the like colloquial use of the term because what she's mad about in that situation is that it seems like such a trivial, it seems crass and out of place for like um, somebody being forced into such a dehumanizing situation as this girl in her thought experiment mm-hmm. is um, to be like, this is against my rights. Like it seems almost like, wait, <laughs> like we're past that. Like that, right. that seems like not the thing that we're worried about here. Um, and while ethicists and people who, you know, like, like understand ethics, like via a rights-based framework would say, actually it is against her rights. Like that's, she's mad about the use of the term. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Because yes. It it seems to be like rights are like this kind of trivial thing that we exchange or like use as part of like the game of social engagement for stuff as trivial as eggs, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's like some deeper thing that we should be caring about. Yeah, like, I well, I also that. think that her issue. Okay, so like also earlier in that essay, like the first paragraph, she writes like, um, "One can say without degrading oneself, my person does not count, but not I do not count." So I think it's also about the difference between like yeah. my individual self and also as opposed to like I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know she, I think like the the vibe that I got was like she kind of thinks that the things that differentiate us like interpersonally are not like it's not that your like the sacredness of your being is rooted in the fact that you're like a clever and witty person, right? Because mm-hmm. even if you were stupid, like you would still <laughs> right. have that like sacredness in your being. Um, and it's it's like things like being a clever and witty person that are. Um, uh like your personality yes right and so personality isn't the thing that that we care about and at least not in in the way that she is outlining yeah yeah i think that that's that's right and i guess the only other thing i have to say about this essay which like we'll still be talking about um with the other essays we've read is i really like her argument here that beauty and art and poetry like exist in this realm of the impersonal yeah um and that like it almost doesn't matter who <laughs> wrote these things or right. who created these beautiful works of art because you don't like read the Odyssey and say like oh that's Homer like I can see his personality coming out it's yeah. like he's not important <laughs> right um, which I just find to be so true I guess I yeah it okay it's definitely true for something like the Odyssey but what about stuff that's like you know, where there's kind of like an auteur quality to it. Well, I think she would say that that isn't, I don't know, is there any like great work of art that like is lasting, is like a classic, like universal Mm. story, universally loved thing? That has like an auteur quality. quality. God, people know. really be like Annie Hall is so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I was gonna say like a Wes Anderson movie in a thousand years maybe they'll be like classic no um but in a know. thousand years they won't be like we love Wes Anderson they'll just be like this movie is so like it won't have the auteur quality I think at the time that's interesting yeah okay. or that's my understanding maybe yeah, yeah. maybe when Homer was writing everyone was like damn that Homer yeah, he really love, won it love, yeah. <laughs> he really guts it right uh I don't know. That's just my instinct. Yeah. 
Okay. No, I think that's right. And I, I, whether or not like we think that's a plausible view on the whole, which I have to think through, that is does seem to be her view. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is that like impersonal quality about because everything she is she is kind of like ac- not accidentally that's really rude um just like in all of her aphorisms she ends up being kind of architectural because she is like pointing she, she really cares about this like transcendence like she doesn't use it that way but what like, do you mean architectural like all of her thinking points toward the same kind of like she's very principled in her thinking and she mm-hmm. like sticks to the same it's not like you'd read like her view on art and her view on rights for example or like her view on personality seem to be even though those are two different topics they're both derived from the same general right like, principles yeah yeah so like all of the facets of her thinking seem to actually work together mm-hmm. well. yeah yeah um yeah so that's human personality i guess um which i think is maybe a good segue into the statement of human obligations yeah which i think you have more thoughts on yeah i did have a few thoughts on this um maybe it's worth noting that both the statement of human obligations and human personality were both written in 1943 like right before she died so i think the their ideas really overlap a lot they do yeah um so like okay so I, I was taking some notes when i was reading the statement of human obligation which is basically like she's just outlining her ethics in, in you know um in no uncertain terms um and so she talks about a kind of reality that all humans share and she says of that that reality is the unique source of all the good that can exist in this world That is to say, all beauty, all truth, all justice, all legitimacy, all order, and all human behavior that is mindful of obligations. And I have a a note that says, like, basically from the Republic. Um, Because she kind of has this view of, like, the form of the good Mm -hmm. um, as the thing that, like, like governs our... I don't know. I mean, she would probably call it God or, like, our whatever, like, piece of us is connected to God. But it's basically, like that vision of like there's like an essential good that every person is a participant in mm-hmm. um that is separate from our personality right like the fact that you're quick-witted or that you're really athletic or that you're like good with a joke is not identical to or even part of that like other like the transcendent like goodness that we all participate in Mm -hmm. and so like in plato's in the republic you know like they talk about the form of the good as like you know it's like the 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 form in plato's theory of forms that informs all other forms and it seems like she's kind of pointing to a similar sort of thing um but like that that we just have like in us Mm -hmm. um and she thinks our moral duties come from this so like insofar as you can recognize like yeah you riley you have like you know this this like transcendent reality within you and i do too and like Mm -hmm. you know i i like owe you a kind of respect as a result of that Mm -hmm. so then the other thing that i had written is she kind of i said she derives a a sort of deontology from this um which is kant's theory of Mm -hmm. rights um and like obligations so that's what i was saying like earlier like i feel like her view is a little bit um like she says she doesn't like rights but like it's actually very much in line with like the 
like I owe you a kind of fundamental respect and an absolute respect because that's what of, Kant says. Well, they that's what they both say. They have that in common. Mm-hmm. Is that like we owe each other just this like kind of essential absolute respect because we recognize in each other a kind of unity and transcendence, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so something I was thinking about is that um this this is like what C.S. Lewis says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where he yeah. talks about... Redemption um, arc. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. Oh, Quite okay. the contrary. Oh, no. Okay. He misses. Because okay. he says, like... Because he frames... I I think... It's just interesting because Vey thinks that this kind of, like, capacity towards, like what she would call love or attention like comes from god um and that's really what c.s lewis says as well that um god i don't remember how he formulates it but like we have this moral feeling in us yeah and we know that it is not like uh evolutionary bias or whatever therefore it must be from god yeah go back and listen to our classic yeah, episode. yeah. controversial um, <laughs> controversial for sure um but I think that he misses the mark and she's more spot on, I guess. Or like, yeah, well, I, I just she believe puts it more her, mystically. I guess. Yeah. She, and yeah. He, he's like, it can't be science. Therefore, like he, yeah. <laughs> he's like, imagine a train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> imagine a warship. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you know, he says, uh, you know, what you bit you liked about him was what does he say that like you've never met somebody who isn't important or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. He yeah. says, he says, um, I think like every day we're meeting immortals, we're meeting like right. kind of like souls basically. It sounds like so corny to yeah, say, yeah. I hate that. I was like, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. But um, it was cute though. Thanks. <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bradley is being so bad. Yeah, speaking of cute. Bradley. What are they doing? Um, some sort of ruckus beneath me. Brad. Oh, there he is. But the thing that I think is like, uh, what was I pointing to there? Like, I guess like, yeah, they're they're both doing this kind of, like, con- to put Kant's theory like really really like simply. And the reason I'm like tying it to him is because he's like one of the like in the like the world of philosophy ethics, right? Like mm-hmm. Kant is one of the big guys, you know. Like there's there's like a couple of competing theories. There's just like virtue ethics, utilitarianism, and, and Kantianism, right? Like those are the those are the main contenders for like mm-hmm. ethical frameworks. And so I put her in a Kantian category just because it's like already you know it's already there. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah, um, but like his, his whole thing is like you know all of us are like like basically have this like transcendence you know like as as, as a, like a feature of our of our being and um like that thing is owed you know like universal respect like i, I can't you know it to infringe upon your um like your being is to like violate you know like the, the moral law in some way and he puts it much more rationally than she does and which is i actually like they's version of it a lot better because it's vibes because it's it's vibey it's not like you see like Kant's whole thing was like if you actually think about this logically (laughs) you know that it's wrong to like infringe on somebody's on somebody else's transcendental you know like uh rights um but the way that Vey puts it is just much more like 
feelingsy, mm-hmm. which I think is more true to the realm of ethics anyway. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's not like oh, you're like violating some like logical order. You're just you know like you shouldn't do that because it's it feels wrong or something. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, and she. Yeah, just yeah. Say like her deontology is though is nicer than Kant's. She doesn't like rights talk, but honestly, she's still basically a deontologist. She has right. more awe for the moral law than Kant seems to. Mm. Like, there's a lot of like love and awe in the way that she talks about morality. Yeah. What did you have? What impressions did you have from that? Uh, that um, piece. I just. Uh... Well, I guess I just think it's really interesting because I've been thinking so much about, uh, you know, as I always am for my dissertation, like TikTok and social media. Yeah. And I've just been been reading a lot lately about, um, uh, oh my gosh, what are they called? Recommendation algorithms. Yeah. Um, or like, and how personality is quantified Mm. and how a lot of people really think this is like an amazing thing (laughs) and how personality is so important blah 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 representation in media i don't know i'm not explaining it i'm not explaining explaining it at all um but basically there's sort of this i feel like widespread feeling or like belief that one's personality is very important and like the nuances of one one's personality is very important yeah and that one should try to understand every aspect of their personality and like categorize i mean we've talked about this off air (laughs) and i think that that's not like an incorrect way to feel like i think that there is benefit in thinking about identity and identity politics like i'm not trying to do like an anti-identity politics uh like rant but i think this what she's writing just kind of stands in opposition to a lot of the other stuff that i've been thinking about in terms of individualization um and i think she has ah Oh no, my PDF just skipped. Uh, she has like another section in this anthology, which is just okay, about um, the self. Oh, or maybe it's attention and will. I don't know. I'll have to find it. But um, yeah, I just really like the idea that the most important thing in us is the thing that exists in all people and not like our individual right. differences. Yeah. That's no. all. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right too. Um I mean, and that is like a very Christian thing of her to think too. Yeah. Um but yeah, I do like that. Mm-hmm. And you're right that that is like like a good sort of um I don't know, like uh a check on the like hyperfixation on individual personality trait kind of as like the locus of value mm-hmm. i think people do this a lot with and you know anything from like a uh, like a personality type or an astrological sign or a diagnosis like all of these different things sort of become, yeah anything that can be branded yeah mm-hmm. they become like loci of value but but you know contra that like actually no it's 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 not those things that make us valuable 
Yeah, and I think from a like a misenchantment standpoint, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's so compelling about her writing or about this idea. Because um, like we've been reviewing McCarraher, <laughs> like he talks about marketing and uh, yeah. capitalism and whatnot, and she really is just opposed to this this idea that we should. I I don't know. I'm not explaining it well but just well it's not a very marketable thing like the thought that you know you can easily market to somebody like look you're this kind of person you should buy these kinds of things like you know Mm -hmm. like here's how to emphasize the fact that you're like you have these personality traits it's by purchasing these sorts of things and you know subscribing to these sorts of things so if like the main part of your value is like the it's not it's like a transcendent thing that we all share that's the same um then that's not so marketable. Yeah, it defies misenchantment. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Simone Weil was the first de influencer. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's gonna be our. That's sick. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. De influencer. Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing this on Twitter. People are like, "I'm de influencing," and it's like, "Okay, well, wait, what does that even mean?" Because like, I heard people on Twitter mean that. I've not seen. Or that. on TikTok, uh, mm. they will say, because you know, people on TikTok will be like, "You need to. This is. These are all the vitamins I take. Like, this is all oh. this. And then, this is my like large. I don't know. There's like this cup of water that all the girlies like. That's like a giant cup. It's like fifty dollars. It's just a cup. <laughs> yeah. Like, is it? It's like um. What's it? You like a hydro flask mm-hmm. kind of like it's like that like it keeps your water cold it has a straw but it's just like a bunch of plastic yeah um and it's really popular and so now there's like a new wave of people trying to de-influence and be like that's stupid don't spend your money on things guys like don't yeah. don't buy things so that's Simone Bay. yeah yeah she is okay i like it <laughs> she is the de-influencer <laughs> yeah um yeah so i think Oh, what do we have? We still have attention and will? We do have attention and will. Wow. I don't understand what I... I wrote this like four hours ago, but I don't know what I mean. <laughs> she, okay. She already figured out neuroscience. That's so base. Yeah, I didn't know what you meant by that. She was talking about will in a way that made me think that she kind of anticipated... I don't remember what she said, but she said something about like the nature of will that made me think she anticipated the general... like you know like i don't know there's like a lot of like neuroscience studies on like how like the way that we think that we have like often like our parts of our brain have already like decided so to speak and i'm doing air quotes um that we're gonna like do something before it's like consciously available to us that that is what we're going to do um often it's in the case of stuff like i don't know like I'm like scratching my eyebrow right now, and I didn't decide to do that. But like, oh, that's very Sam Harris of you. It, it, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's what and that's what I was saying. Like that's why I was thinking. Like she said something that made me think that she had kind of realized something about this. Um, it was like toward the beginning of the piece. I was taking my notes chronologically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what is your? Why don't you start with attention and will? Because I I like pontificated a lot on the statement of human obligations. Um. I don't know. I feel like I've already talked about it a bit in our prayer episode. And I just like that she, like, her attention is not necessarily, like, focused, willed attention. It's more just, like, an orientation, as I said at the the top of the episode. And I 
really like that um and I just think that's correct I don't think that you can just be like instantly like oh I'm gonna turn my attention towards like the love of God and then I'm going to experience like experience it I think it is more of a know a a process if you will a journey yeah um i don't really have any more thoughts on the the essay than that yeah i mean i think you should go in because i know that you have (laughs) yeah okay so i'll say here um like okay (laughs) i'm like looking at my notes i did not i was not paying attention as i took them um but um Okay, so I have a note here that says I want to resist the the prayer equals attention thing, but IDKY yet. And I was thinking about it and like, because I said at the beginning of this whole episode that we like had endorsed that view. Right. Like a year ago when we started. Hey, I think it's been almost a year. Damn. Um, and uh, yeah, because we were talking about Lent, I think, when we started. Damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah we Hell were. yeah. Oh <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I... Uh, was I gonna say oh yeah but like since then I've been doing a lot of praying and I've been doing a lot of meditating Mm -hmm. and they feel different they seem like different things to me and I don't know why I want to say that and she's and and I think her view like the way that she talks about like the value of prayer um and this is also this also comes up in her like discussion of like doing your your sums when you're doing math in that one book that I forget, what's, I forget what that one's called but it's about oh, like, waiting for god yeah but like it seems that her view would in, entail that like or at least really suggest that like meditation and prayer kind of are the same thing but they feel quite different to me and so I, I, in reading it this time like when i read that like a year ago i was like yeah hell yeah mm. so true and now i feel a little different about it well i think I don't think she would say that they're the same because I think, okay, I'm going to read a passage and then explain why. So this is just like a short little bit from Attention and Will. Uh, She says, attention alone, that attention which is so full that the I disappears is required of me. I have to deprive all that I call I of the light of my attention and turn it on to that which cannot be conceived. So I think that you would maybe say like well isn't that meditation yeah but i think that that's i don't know maybe i'm just willfully misreading (laughs) because i don't think that she because like i feel like meditation is more like yes you are trying to disappear the i as she writes but it's not meditation isn't like i don't know I feel like there's not that same like orientation that prayer has. Yeah. I guess if that makes sense or like I guess I I'm think... not trying to disappear the eye in prayer. Like if anything I'm telling a detailed story about it. Hmm. This is the, uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad that you brought this up cuz this made me think of what I feel like the difference is. Mm-hmm. Like like prayer to me is it's a bit it's a bit like journaling where what you're doing is you're like um kind of like reifying through language the I like you're you're like you know you're speaking in such a way that it's apparent to you what it is that's you know um not Bradley just jump <laughs> Bradley is gonna try to destroy my computer again. um but yeah you're you're like making apparent to yourself your own 
your desires, your fears, your, you know, what you're struggling with. And all of those things seem to be in the realm of personality and the I mm. and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and that's quite different from meditation where you recognize those things, but you let them go. Like, you know, like the, the in prayer, like when talks about like, okay, like, hey, I'm, I'm really, you know, you're like, hey, God, it's me, Lorenzo. And I'm really, you know, like anxious about this. And you like, you right make it apparent to yourself you know but you're not like in meditation i feel like it's a little bit more like okay like that comes up and you let it go and it, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and like you hold it for a moment but you're not like reifying it i keep coming back to that word but like making it yeah. like an object of, of of thought in a very intentional way yeah no that makes sense hmm i guess i think that maybe she's just thinking of prayer differently but then i'm thinking of it more the way you're thinking of it maybe she is thinking of it more like meditation um yeah because because when she says like um absolutely unmixed attention is prayer yeah from other things that i've read of hers she would also then say like what she means by attention is sort of like a witnessing or kind of like a willingness to like witness human suffering or like see another person and so she would categorize that as prayer which i think is different from what you're describing right which is what i would also think of as prayer being like hey god it's me yeah what's up right um but i don't think that that like willingness to like see human suffering is the same as meditation either. right no it's it seems like maybe she's just thinking of prayer and attention as like a third thing okay <laughs> um yeah but i understand your gripe yeah i guess yeah or it's not even a gripe it's just like a worry because i or like uh i you know i hadn't been meditating or praying very much the first time i encountered her view and i thought it was very plausible and now that I've been doing a lot of both, it feels less plausible. And I think that's my, yeah, not a gripe, but just like a, like a, I don't know. But I... Development. Yeah. But I'm also remembering that we, maybe in that episode, maybe in the secret first episode we recorded that got lost yeah. in the editing, we talked about um, the type of prayer that arises like when you like see someone suffering and you like say a silent prayer yeah and in that sense i think that is like a very that is very (laughs) like type of attention and prayer where the eye does disappear it's just like a because it's sort of like an impersonal like recognition of suffering and a wish to like alleviate that suffering yeah so i wonder if that's what she's getting at well i would find that very plausible yeah i guess that's right yeah, she says this, and I didn't know what it means. Maybe you can clarify it for me. I should have cited where it was from. But it says, experience of the transcendent, colon. This seems contradictory, and yet the transcendent can be known only through contact, since our faculties are unable to prevent it. And that's from that's from attention and will. Mm. Do you remember encountering that? 
No. Okay. Um, it's like one of those, you know, it's kind of like one of her, it. like, sort of, it's, I think it's probably doesn't have too much context that would help because it's kind of one of her, like, aphorisms. Right. <laughs> Is it experience of the transcendent colon that probably would bring it up? Yeah, it's not letting me search for some reason. Mm. Oh, well. Um, okay, well, my first thought is that she's talking about that metoxu that yeah. I mentioned before. Um, the kind of uh, every separation is a link. So, like, we cannot experience the transcendent. And the fact of this is tells us something about the transcendent yeah oh that's good that's the metoxy thing is helpful there yeah i think that's what she's getting at yeah um because yeah if we don't contact it we have no other way yeah i agree that it it does seem cool yeah it seems cool <laughs> I wish it, I knew sounds, it sounds fun yeah. but yeah I have one more quote that I wanted to, to read that I, mm-hmm. this is, this is the thing that I, that I, resi- that I resisted again now. Uh, but uh, before I do that, I don't want to make this all about my gripes. So what is, <laughs> what, what more, to, what, do you have any other thoughts about, about attention and will that you wanted to lay out? Nah, <laughs> nice. I just like it. I think it's very, uh, feminist, I guess. Wait, I, what makes it feminist? Well, Damn, I don't know. I just made that up. Maybe it's not feminist. Um, a woman wrote it. A woman wrote it. And she was, she was a girl boss for having done so. This idea of like attention and not will is more feminist. Yes. Okay. Like yeah. it's just, it's saying like it's an orientation. It's like a practice as opposed to like brute force. Yeah. And maybe I'm drawing um, a distinction that shouldn't be drawn or is like sexist. But I don't think so. Whatever. If no, I am, I think, who cares? I think that, no, this is good because now you made me remember what I meant by she anticipated, she already figured out neuroscience. Oh. Um, yeah, because she like doesn't want to emphasize the will as the important thing. Like it's our capacity for attention that is like the, the transcendent good that she that she likes, right? Mm-hmm. And like I think a, a, a sort of like uh, hang up in a lot of like Western philosophy is like, we want free will because we think it's our decisions in the world that make us important, right? Like, if I if I choose well, if I do the good thing, if I'm, like, you know, a good person via the, my free choice, mm-hmm. that's what's important. But she is saying, like, no, actually, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not that. Yeah. Um, not that neuroscience proves that. That doesn't make any sense. But, like, the, like will isn't e- – like, whether we have it or not is actually not even relevant, Um to her like system of, of value mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think the other reason i say it's feminist is because i feel like she cares a lot more about uh like material conditions and even though she's like talking so much about the impersonal um she still attends to that material condition which i think is very feminist uh, yeah just also. in terms of I guess I'm thinking about, hmm, like, the early, and maybe I am just misunderstanding, but I took one philosophy class in college. Hell yeah. And it was logic. Yeah. Um, Riley, let me tell you, you're taking a philosophy class right now. Whoa. Talking with me. (laughs) Class is in session. (laughs) Um, And my professor was telling us about, she was just, like, giving us an overview of, like, different 
I don't know, like the trolley problem and shit like this. Yeah, yeah. And she was saying like, this is one way to think about the trolley problem. But like a feminist would say like, well, if your kid is on the track, of course you're going to like think of your kid differently. I don't know. Maybe she just misrepresented it. But she was talking about like, I don't know, like pre-existing like structures that would affect how like one would feel about the situation and kind of presented this as like, feminist i don't know and so when i'm saying like material conditions i guess that's what i am thinking of and maybe i'm just uh like obviously i don't know anything about philosophy yeah no i mean i think that's that's true she's probably making like a feminist care ethics point which is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't really know about that branch of ethics because i'm because you're a dude i'm a dude (laughs) i don't care about dude philosophy Mm -hmm. but that is a thing um okay oh also i found the part with the experience of the transcendent yeah do you want to hear the passage after it yeah yeah it's funny because it's just its own aphorism okay solitude period where does its value lie for in solitude (laughs) we are in the presence of mere matter even the sky the stars the moon trees and blossom things of less value perhaps than a human spirit all right yeah (laughs) so i don't i don't really have any context for yeah i didn't think it had context no it doesn't it doesn't have context okay so what's your final gripe about this so my final my final gripe or concern and i think you know my my gripes come from 50 percent understanding it and disagreeing and 50 percent just failure to understand so i think you could probably help me with the latter half um Okay, so she says, and again, this is from Attention and Will, we can only know one thing about God, that he is what we are not. Our wretchedness alone is an image of this. The more we contemplate it, the more we contemplate him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she's kind of, she's a, a Platonist in the following way. She seems to recognize some sort of like, like transcendent good that is suggested by the knit structure of the world and the structure of ourselves, but is not the e- not equal to mm-hmm. like ourselves, right? Like she she thinks that there's like something else, things point towards, are oriented towards, and that we should orient ourselves towards. And and this like piece of her like metaphysical outlook is the thing that I find, like I I just oh, man like I don't know I, I I'm like hesitant to you know believe in any sort of like transcendence mm-hmm. uh, you know like when she talks about like like that we all share this um you know like this this part of us that is not like of us or something like that she like it, it, no like apart from our like selves and our bodies or something like that um like that's the thing that I like I don't think that's true like I you know I think like we are our bodies we are ourselves mm-hmm. like that's it there's not like another world another realm or something um and so i i have a hard time and maybe you can clarify this because i now i do feel like i'm misunderstanding her because you say that she is so interested in like the material reality of, mm-hmm. of ourselves um so maybe you could help me like understand the tension that i've run into there yeah yeah so i think that in this particular section you're pointing out i'm trying to find it in gravity and grace because i think it's in here she 
has this idea of so like when she says like god is what we are not she talks about damn i really wish i knew where this was i don't know if it's in waiting for god or in this this one gravity and grace i can't find it in here so i think it might be in the other one but she talks about how god has to like cross infinite infinite distance to like meet us where we are yeah and that this like effort is like a measure of his love for us yeah um so she has this like tiny little piece sentence from um uh from the love section of gravity and grace she writes uh to love purely is to consent to distance it is to adore the distance between ourselves and that which we love and so when i read this i was thinking about this other quote i had read from um henry james (laughs) weirdly enough where he talks about what how what is romantic is like this distance because of course like we can never like know another human being but there's something like about this fact oh yeah and like our continuous um like effort so like henry james writes I was just reading this earlier. The romantic stands uh, for the things that with all the faculties in the world, all the wealth and all the courage and all the wit and all the adventure, we can never directly know the things that reach us only through the beautiful circuit and subterfuge of our own thought and desire. So he talks about, you know, yeah, the romantic being that which we cannot know. And Ve kind of has the same thought about like love and distance and really is like i think this is a big part of her like ideas about god has to do with this distance um and so i think that when she's talking about all we can know is that god is what we are not it's kind of referring to this distance oh okay and so like the more we contemplate our wretchedness yeah the more we contemplate him because we're thinking about like how he has to cross this infinite distance to reach us yeah is i think what she's saying but of course like you wouldn't know that without having read this like other one sentence in this book that i don't even have pulled up yeah but i'm pretty sure okay that i'm much more sympathetic to that and that's actually very that's really interesting i like that a lot yeah Um, yeah yeah no okay now i'm trying to like synthesize that into like how my reading of her might be um okay but you so you have in your notes here that your reading of christology (laughs) is the elimination of transcendence yeah so this is yeah okay so that this is okay so i'm trying to this is what i was trying to synthesize with what you just said because i really am sympathetic to that kind of like you know yeah of course that like like love exists in the in the separation um and like the recognition of that kind of separation and like Mm -hmm. it overcomes it but like um yeah so like the you know like i'm still i'm still on my my zizekian like atheist christianity thing a year later still Mm -hmm. here still doing it and um like i i think like the, the beauty of the of the narrative of like the of, of the Jesus story, right, is in the, like, end of the separation between, like, okay, so prior to Jesus, right, mm-hmm. like, the, the figure of God is, like, he's this un, 
unattainable other, or like unknowable mm-hmm, other, mm-hmm. whose will is exacted upon people. And, you know, they can do their best to try to understand his will and act in accordance with it, but they never really know it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always an other. It's always, and they fuck up continuously. They keep on getting, you know, like the Israelites keep getting screwed over in different ways because they've in some way failed to understand God's will. And like the beauty of, of the, um, like Jesus story, is the like resolution of that of that conflict in like they they take that other and turn it into a guy you know mm-hmm. and a guy who who dies for them right and is, yeah. is is like one with people in his suffering like he he knows us because he knows his, like our suffering mm-hmm. right okay and so like the that like I guess there is still like a transcendence in like maybe the resurrection or something like that that is hinted toward mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like uh, I, I guess like the important part for me is that like the like elimination of um, again as Zizek puts it like the abyss of the other's desire mm. um, mm-hmm. and so it seems to me that Ve is very persuaded by the necessity of that Mm -hmm. um of that like transcendent other to whom we're in some way like i don't know like beholden or something yeah yeah and so that's that's my hesitation to like endorse her view in full because i feel like like i just like like the thing that she's pointing to that like transcendent thing that is in all of us that, sh- that we owe respect like for her it feels like that's like it's like a kind of metaphysical posit like she's saying like there's this part of us that points out out of the material world toward god in this other realm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i want to say no we don't need that other realm anymore like it's it's we're already here Mm. Um, and and like we should we do need like to respect each other in some fundamental way but not because of some distant you know or like because of there's a part of us that points to some distant other reality it's it's all here now mm-hmm. but i think that she would say i don't know i feel like the the your view and her view are not incompatible but I'm having a hard time yeah, figuring I'm, it out. I think that's probably because right, I, well, I haven't figured it out either. This other passage, <laughs> like figured out my own view. Right. This other passage from Gravity and Grace, which I'm just I guess reading from now. But I think it has to do with like maybe maybe the connection between your view and hers has to do with like suffering and attention somehow because she just argues that we cannot fully like attend to or understand the world or ourselves so there's like always an element of like mystery almost yeah which isn't what you're not saying like the opposite of that no um i don't know i'm just i don't know i don't know I see what you're saying. I just don't have a response, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't either. Um, I guess this is a mystery I'll embrace, at least for the time yeah, being. It's a nice. good one. I'll read you an aphorism. Okay. Uh, uh, men owe us what we imagine they will give us. We must forgive them this debt. 
To accept the fact that they are other than creatures of our imagination is to imitate the renunciation of God. I also am other than what I imagine myself to be. To know the to know this is forgiveness. End quote. I don't That's know. very beautiful. <laughs> I think it's I don't know. I think yeah, I guess I don't understand how she's thinking of like the of the other well yeah. enough to right. to formulate a response. Yeah. No, you're right to point out that that's the thing that is kind of like the piece that's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like what way? Because like I say, she's kind of a Platonist, um, mm-hmm. which taken in the crass way would mean she's like imagining like a realm of forms that is like not part of the world. It's like so in some sense. She does talk about the, the cave in here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I feel like she's more sophisticated than just being like a kind of vulgar platonist. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe <not. laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe she's just like writing in a more interesting way that makes me think that she <laughs> Yeah, maybe. She's tricking you. <laughs> Bradley's rearranged your furniture. Yeah, I don't... I'm not looking at him. Okay. He's too bad. He's... Yeah. <laughs> to forgive Bradley is to... <laughs> I'm trying to think of an aphorism. Um, do you want to talk about the Aeon article briefly? I feel like maybe we've touched on... Yeah. ...much of it. Yeah. What, what thoughts did you have about it? Um, just to go back to rights... Uh, there was this quote from the Aeon article, which once again is called um, A Just and Loving Gaze. It's by uh, Deborah Casewell. Um, and she writes, uh, when the language of rights is used, the relationship that we hold towards that person becomes objectifying. It transforms a cry of pain into a weight on the mute scales of justice. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. And it was really making me think about just like a few times in my life where I've been like really upset about like legal decisions. Um, the one that comes to mind is I remember it must have been I don't I don't remember if you know Paul Ryan. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if he was still the speaker when Trump was president, but there was like a first, like the house basically like passed a bill that was going to like kill Obamacare yeah, and was just really going to like fuck over a bunch of people. And I just have this like scene in my memory of like Paul Ryan and the Republicans just like celebrating on the white house lawn and being like, yes, like we're going to make insulin so unaffordable. And I remember just feeling so like horrible and sad and dejected. And I think that, it's just because it, it feels like it's so beyond like rights, you know, to right. be able to like have access to, as I'm sure I've talked about on the pod before, because it's like the thing I care about maybe most. Um, and just like, I don't know, I really liked this language of talking about like rights versus obligation. I think. Yeah. It, it, it I don't know. It just helped me understand why it felt so like dehumanizing to see these things kind of 
transmuted into the realm of rights. Yeah. I like that example. I think that's really good. Because, like, I was thinking, you know, it makes me think of is, like, you know, like, a big part of, like, Bernie's campaign, for instance, was saying, like, healthcare is a human right. And in some way, actually, that kind of cheapens it. Like, it turns it into this thing where it's, like, it's, like, a thing that you're owed as, like, just a, you know, here's, like, a token that we've decided in civil society we exchange. Mm -hmm. But it is deeper than that. It's not, it's, like, it's, like, healthcare is, like, a fundamental matter of respect, Mm-hmm. of like the like um you know transcendentally important personhood that everybody shares mm-hmm. not as catchy right but, <laughs> yeah can't fit on a t-shirt <laughs> no <laughs> but but more deeply like reflective of the reality of the situation or something like that you know yeah like, yeah and of course like human right i think speaks to the it's a proxy though it is a proxy. It's a proxy that becomes cheap because it becomes like an object of political discourse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, that's really my my main thought from the Aeon article. I just really loved that. Yeah. Uh, that passage. Yeah. But I mean, another way of maybe like elaborating on what you said about healthcare. Uh, so like, Deborah, right? So. Yeah. Uh, there is something absolutely sacred about every human being, something that goes beyond the circumstances of their lives and the contingencies of their personalities. What should prevent evil is an awareness of the sacred aspect of humanity, not their right not to be harmed. Yeah. Um, and I think that just really sums up what yeah. they wrote really like beautifully. Right. No, I think that's excellent. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it and like, like okay, so the way that we you'd normally frame it in like Kantian ethics, at least as applied now, this is not like orthodox to Kant, but like the ontological ethics is like you have a right against me, like coming over and and, and like punching you in the face, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like when it's talked about that way, it almost becomes like, oh, I want to punch you in the face, but I come over and like and I check your tokens, and you got a token that says I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I won't do that. When the real reason I don't do that is because I care about you, right? And how much like that's just a much better way of <laughs> yeah, and like and I should care about you, and that that's just that's just so much better. Yeah, um, and conceiving of it as like tokens that you either do or don't have to access certain goods. Yeah, and I think that. I don't, I mean, I was just reading this today, so I definitely want to think about it more. I just think this is such an interesting way to, like, approach the political, I guess, or, like, politics. Um, I don't know. I also read, in preparation for today, uh, a New York Times op-ed called What We Owe to Others, Simone Weil's Radical Reminder from 2018. Um, And... I don't know. It's just okay. <laughs> I think we'll link it in the show notes or whatever by Robert Zaretsky. Um, but he wrote this interesting passage that I don't actually have thoughts on. Maybe I'll throw it out there and then you can say your thoughts. Um, but I thought it was interesting and I want to think about it further. So he writes, uh, the contemporary philosopher Andrea Nye suggests that they also throws a bracing light on the debate over abortion. 
In effect, the related notions of obligation and attention offer a third way between those who claim the fetus's right to life and those who insist upon a woman's right to choose. Rejecting these rights-based claims, Nye writes, a Vayian feminist might listen to the women themselves as they attempt to make sense of their lives in order to come to a binding sense of what must be done to restore social balance and create a society in which obligations do not conflict. Such an approach might invite women might invite a woman seeking an abortion to fully attend to a situation which does not implicate her alone. And yeah. I don't really know what to make of that. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting, the the part about... I don't know. I guess no, a I third way? That's between... good. Because, like, okay, this is my thought. Yeah. Like, the way that, like, a rights-based approach, for example... And other, I mean, like a utilitarian is going to end up doing something similar too, but whatever. Like, it, it kind of thinks like, we can like algorithmatize this. Like we can figure out ahead of time for all cases what the output is going to be if we understand like what the shape of the token is. Mm-hmm. So like your right to your own body token is valued at this much. Mm-hmm. The fetus's right to life is valued at this much. Like mm-hmm. if we understand the conversion rate, we know whose is more important. You know, and the rights like right wingers, they're like, okay, the fetus's token is better. It's and, like nine tokens. Yeah, yeah, it's like nine tokens, and you know, the the you know left wing person's gonna be like, actually, the woman's rights ten right. tokens, um, and like that's that's the way that it it goes. But it, like this third way seems to be uh, in opposition to that, like very principle that you can decide ahead of time what the values, like the number of rights <laughs> or like the quantity mm-hmm. or importance of the rights are yeah yeah and i guess it's hard because we live in a world we live in a society (laughs) so true (laughs) um i don't know i guess we can't like just get rid of this language of rights but i don't know i i just i don't know obviously i don't have like a stance or an answer (laughs) for all of this i just um yeah, I guess I just want to think more about this attention and obligation and, and rights. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, because it, it's not like a, a policyable thing. Like, right. like, a vain approach to, like, you know, a question about abortion is like, I care about you. Right. <laughs> you know, you can't, like, write that into a policy um, but that is, that's like what makes it radical, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. What yeah. a gal. What a gal. R.I.P. R.I.P. She would have loved Manifestation TikTok. Oh, no. <laughs> no, she wouldn't have. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That makes me sad to think about. I'm glad she didn't see it. Yeah. She'd be so um, sad for us. She would. She would. <laughs> cool well what should we talk about next time i don't know yoga stoicism one of those two. you know who would hate stoicism simone bay that makes me like her i know that me too me, yeah <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> completely unrelated yeah <laughs> i saw this 
Have you seen all like the Sisyphus discourse on Twitter? No, okay, I saw that that was trending, but I didn't like look at it. Why is that trending? <laughs> because like someone on TikTok, this girl on TikTok made like a thing that was like Sisyphus is probably like getting jacked. Like he actually probably likes his job. Like we should feel bad for him. That's so and cool. then it started getting memed on Twitter. And yeah. Someone posted a meme that said Sisyphus got that dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so good. I've just been thinking about it nonstop. God, all that, day. that phrase. <laughs> so good. So, yeah, we should talk about stoicism. Okay. Just because of that. That's just because so of, just of Stoicism's got that dog in him. Yeah. yeah. It's really timely. <laughs> it is. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? No. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. Everyone should follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. We don't have an email, so don't try yeah. to email us. I think we do actually have an email. Oh. A misenchantments email? No. Misenchantments at Gmail? No, no, no. 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 We don't. We don't. No one scoop that up. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we gotta grab that real quick. <laughs> um, cool. Right. Well... See you in heaven. See you in heaven. <laughs>